the fifth commandment. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So far, the word of God. In response to God's word, let's now sing together from hymn 11, the verses one What does God require in the fifth commandment? That I show all honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all those in authority over me, to submit myself with due obedience to their good instruction and discipline, and also have patience with their weaknesses and shortcomings, since it is God's will to govern us by their hand. So far. beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Who is the authority in your home? In some homes, it's quite clearly the Father who is in charge. Things are run by Him, and He's got the final say in all kinds of matters. Let's say if one of your kids wants to go for a sleepover somewhere, then Mom will say, go ask your dad. Try as you might to play your mom off against your dad to get permission. It just doesn't work. If you get into trouble, your dad might be the disciplinarian too. Littler things might be dealt with immediately. But for bigger things, just you wait till your father gets home. He'll deal with you. In other homes, the mom's in charge. Ask the same question if you can go to a party and the dad will say, Ask your mom. In some cases, the mom makes all the important decisions in the family. And finally, in some homes, you'll find that the kids are in charge. There's not a hierarchy in the home. Instead, you'll find a kidarchy. The kids have the final say. If the parents say no, the kids throw a fit until they get their way. If your dad keeps you from going out, you'll enlist your mom and pit her against your dad. And you'll pit your parents against each other until one of them gives way and you're allowed to go anyways. Such children listen to their parents as long as it's working out for them. In the case of minor inconveniences, they'll just huff and maybe carry out whatever they've been asked to do anyways. But if it's something that they disagree with, they'll fight against it tooth and nail until they get their way. How do we respond to these situations? How is a home supposed to function? And how does this fit into the broader society of today? Today we'll be looking at that under the heading, God's rule begins in the home. And we'll deal with three things, although not necessarily in chronological order, in this sermon because they're such tightly intertwined concepts. First of all, we'll deal with to whom honor is due. Second, how do we honor them? And third, why we should honor them. 
Now, families are the building blocks of society. And family is a hugely important part of society. It's integral to it. Because of that, the fifth commandment plays a hugely important role in our society today. Because of that, it's uh, no surprise that it's the first commandment after we love God. If you remember, the law can be divided into two parts that Jesus spoke about. First is the greatest. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then the second is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the first part is commandments one to four. This is the first commandment that comes after that. It's laying the foundation for how to love our neighbor. Now, in the fifth commandment, we read the words, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And it's with this lens in mind that I want to look at that passage of Ephesians today. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Think about that, uh, the idea behind that first commandment. Honor your father and your mother. Because it's honor that undergirds all of this today. Honor is the basis, the foundation of the relationship between children and their parents. Honor is what children are expected to show their parents. And this honor is not a conditional. It's not on the basis of if their parents have earned this honor. It's simply what God expects of the children of His people. The Hebrew word for honor used here in this fifth commandment is one which is often used in connection with God. And it's a word that goes far beyond simple outward obedience. God doesn't settle for that. Honor refers to an obedience that flows from reverence and respect. And that's something that we are also expected to show to our parents. Now, this might seem hard to some of you teens, especially in today's day and age. With a family being undermined so aggressively, dads being portrayed by Hollywood as bumbling fools who don't know much about life or about their kids, for that matter. They're constantly being disrespected and shown in a disrespectful way on screen. They're mocked because they're displayed as not being worthy of respect. Now, at the risk of stereotyping, it's pretty classic to believe at your age, if you're a teenager, that you know better than your parents, at least with some things. If they won't let you party or buy something for you, but you don't fully understand the reason why or think it's that big of a deal, it's, it's tempting to go the way of the world, the way that we have it expressed by, by Hollywood and by other things. Your friends might talk about what they would do if it was their parents who kept them from doing whatever it was. That they wouldn't let their parents keep them from going to this or that movie. They might even speak about their parents needing to earn respect before they'll listen to them. Their parents need to prove that they have their child's best interests at heart, but it doesn't stop there. Because that proof also needs to measure up to that child's opinion of whether or not 
it's right or wrong. But God says no. God commands His people to honor their fathers and their mothers, to treat them with reverence and respect. So how does this play out? What does this look like in real life, in our world today? One example of how this plays out can be found in Proverbs 3. In Proverbs 3, verse 1, we read, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. With these words, the author of Proverbs is echoing the words of the fifth commandment while addressing his son. He also brings to the foreground the importance of his position in teaching his son as well. With this combination of him spending time investing in his son by teaching him, and his son's obedience in response to that teaching, it lays the groundwork for a life that will, as a rule, bring long life, peace of mind, and peace in his interactions with others. Fathers, as those, of you, as those who are to be heads of the household, you should never underestimate your task with regards to this. What are the words that your children hear from your mouth? Are they mostly just discipline? Do you tell them to stop bothering you after a long day of work when you would rather just sit back? Or do you show love? Do you take time to instruct them? Now, this can be an intimidating thought for you. You may not feel like you know much and therefore feel like you don't have much to teach your child. This can be especially the case if your knowledge of the Bible is not where it should be or where you would like it to be. But don't let that be a hindrance. Take these moments to be an occasion for learning as well. Google it if you have to. Never will you learn as much as when you're studying with the intent to share that knowledge with someone else. Both you and your children will be blessed by it. But Proverbs 3 doesn't end here. We see the parent-child relationship expanded on. But instead of focusing on the child's physical father... This chapter grows it in size to also include God, the child's spiritual father. We read that in the following verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. And ultimately that is the reason why we trust our earthly parents. It's because they have been placed in authority over us. God has chosen to rule over us and to direct our lives through them. When they're carrying out their tasks of shepherding us and raising us up in the way that we should grow, they're acting as instruments of God's hands. They're ultimately acting as extensions of His perfect fatherly love, although they themselves might be imperfect creatures. Now I want you to take special note of that point. Kids, your parents, as authority figures, are extensions of God's love 
and care for you. Parents, you are extensions of God's fatherly love. When you act, you must act as those who are in a position of reflecting God's fatherly care. When your children are first introduced to the reality of of God as Father, they think of you. Do they receive an accurate view? We'll talk more about that later, but for the moment I want to dwell on this one point. Parental authority is a reflection of God's precious fatherly love for His children. And in this way, obedience, for, obedience to the fifth commandment is ultimately obedience to God. And this is where it gets interesting. Because seen in this light, suddenly the commandment takes on a much broader scope. For if God is the author of all authority, then essentially all authority is an extension of His fatherly authority. Consider what Paul writes in Romans 13, verse 1 to 2. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Because this is the case, all authority is to be obeyed. And simple outward obedience isn't enough either. Because Paul goes on to write in this very same chapter, Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due. So there's the outward. Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. There's the inward. The Christian is called to submit wholeheartedly to the rule of those who are in authority over them because in that way they are submitting to God. For it is our Father's heavenly will to rule us by their hand. And so we must give honor to whom honor is due. Slaves to masters, Ephesians 6 verse 5. Wives to husbands, Ephesians 5 verse 22. The church to its leaders, Hebrews 13 verse 17. Young men to older men, 1 Peter 5, verse 5. And citizens to governing authorities, Romans 13, verse 1 and following. So through this, we can see that beginning in the home, beginning in the home, God's rule extends throughout all society. Beginning in the home, we're called to submit. To submit for the benefit of society and ultimately out of obedience for God. This is also why, in part, why we train up our children in the way that we do. Because if they learn to be obedient within the realm of the household, if they learn to follow along with the household rules, then they'll be good citizens out in the world as well. But if already in the home they aren't being obedient, and they're rebellious, well, then they'll run into trouble out in the world as well, and maybe even into trouble with the law. Beginning in the home, we're called to submit for the benefit of society, and ultimately out of obedience to God. Now, at this point, 
you may be screaming to point out the obvious. What about authorities who are just outright unjust? What do we do then? Let's take a look at a few examples with regards to that. The first example that we'll look at is taken from the Old Testament, and that's David in particular. David is well known as probably the most famous king of the Old Testament. He's the man who is known as a man after God's own heart. He was a ruler and a conqueror who did much to expand the kingdom of Israel. But David wasn't always a king. There was a time when he too was under someone's rule. And the name of that ruler was King Saul. King Saul started off as a good ruler, but soon went very bad. Growing jealous of David's success as a general under him, Saul eventually tried to have David killed. But David caught wind of it and fled. Being the popular man that he was, David could easily have tried to lead a revolt and tried to overthrow Saul But while King Saul was alive, he was still God's anointed, and David recognized this. And so instead he fled out into the wilderness. Saul gave chase, and he gave David no rest. David and the loyal followers who were with him ran, but still time and again carried out their task to defend the borders of Israel. One day it all came to a head. You can read about this in 1 Samuel 24. David had been chased and chased until he and his men were tired and they took refuge in a cave. Saul, with about 3,000 men, he marches up and this entire army stops outside of the cave. Now, if I remember correctly, David had maybe about 400 at the time. So you can just imagine how frightening that must have been. They stopped outside the cave, not realizing that David and his men were hiding in there. Saul walks into the cave all by himself. But to the amazement of David and his men, who are hiding there, he takes a bathroom break. David's men whisper to him, this is your chance. The opportunity has presented itself. Clearly, this is the hand of the Lord and your chance for the kingship that the Lord has promised you. Kill him now! But while he may have been able to justify to everyone else that it was God's providence that had brought him and Saul together on this day, especially after the Lord had had promised him the kingship, he knew that he couldn't justify it before the Lord. It would have been the easiest thing in the world to take this opportunity. But instead, David said, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing that he has the anointed of the Lord. God's word had spoken to him. And even though it meant years of waiting and years of suffering, David did not take that opportunity. He knew that whatever would come, It would be in the hands of the Lord. But as for him, he was going to obey his heavenly father. King Saul was an unjust king seeking even to kill David. And from a human perspective, he deserved nothing of David's honor and loyalty. And yet, David gave him the honor that was his due. 
because the honor due to him came from God's appointment and God's anointing. The second person that I would like to consider is the very person whose work we read about in the letter to the Romans, namely the Apostle Paul. Paul was writing in his letter about submitting to authority, specifically to government authority in Romans 13. But he was writing this in a very hard time for the Christians. Why? Because the very emperor who was emperor at the time of the writing of that book was the same emperor who later used Christians as torches to light his garden party. Kind of makes someone like Justin Trudeau sound not too bad, however you disagree with them, doesn't it? And yet, Paul writes in the power of the Holy Spirit, it is God's will to govern us by their hand. Even when men whom we dislike are in control. Even when tyrants and dictators are in control. God is still the ultimate ruler. Yes, they must take responsibility for their actions, and they will one day face the heavenly tribunal, the tribunal of God. But for the moment... They are God's tools in His hand to accomplish what He needs to in the world at that time. And the task of a Christian, in light of that, is to offer themselves as a living sacrifice to God. A light in a dark world that demonstrates the glory of God. The final example that I'd like to consider is that of Christ. But before doing that, let's turn together to... 1 Peter 2, verse 20 to 24, for a moment. First Peter 2, verse 20 to 24. So right now we've, we've got... In the Old Testament, David, who has exemplified honoring authority over him. Paul, who calls us to in spite of persecution. And now in 1 Peter 2, verse 20, we say, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you sin when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For it, to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So far. Here we're given the example of Jesus Christ. 
we don't face explicit physical persecution ourselves today, but there are many ways in which we do face injustice. And we know from the patterns that we find in history that this injustice will only increase. So how do we respond to this? God calls us to bear it patiently. But does this mean that we stand idly by as we suffer injustice? Certainly not. We're not to threaten. And we are to commit ourselves to God, the one who judges righteously, as we just read. But we do not stand silently by. For even when Christ submitted, still, he called authority to account, saying to his judge, Governor Pontius Pilate, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Christ pointed out that that governor, too, was answerable to a higher court. He bore witness to the judge who is in heaven. And that's our task as well. As we suffer patiently, we do everything we can to direct our authorities to obedience of God. We bear witness to our God who is in heaven. By our irreproachable conduct, we make it clear to all that we are suffering not because of some sin that we've committed, but we're suffering because we are bearing witness to a higher cause, to one who is beyond us, to one who binds us above all. As Peter and the other apostles said in Acts 5, punish us if you must, but as for us, as for us, we must obey God rather than men. Now, as we round off our discussion of obedience to authority, especially obedience to our father and mother, there's one final thing that I want to touch on, and this is especially important. Considering that the question of authority and obedience to the fifth commandment starts in the home. And that's the question of abuse. Some will say, by this command, you're enabling in a big way. Every child will be made vulnerable. Why are you telling kids to obey and even be patient in the face of suffering? I want to say two things in response to that. First of all, the passage we read is regarding suffering for simply doing good. It's suffering as an obedient servant, carrying out the will of your Heavenly Father. That does not include suffering because someone else is preying on you, taking advantage of you. Let me explain. And kids, I want you to take special notice here. When someone abuses someone in their care, being quiet and listening to them when they say, don't tell anyone, is not counted as suffering for doing good. They are preying on you and abusing their position of authority. And you're not doing good by hiding their sin and enabling them to continue. I'll say more about this in a moment. But second, for those of you who are abusing, consider whom you represent. 
Your authority over that person in your care is a symbol of God's fatherly authority over His children. When you act abusively, you are acting blasphemously. You're telling this child, this is who God is. This is what He does. He doesn't act out of love for you. He uses you. And when He's finished, He throws you aside. You're no more than a thing to Him. That's blasphemy. Children and others. In this situation, you're called to speak out. If you are told to be quiet, you must remember in your heart. You must remember in your heart. I must obey God rather than men. And you are called to do this because while God's rule begins in the home and spreads throughout society, ultimately God's rule is still God's rule. Your honoring authority breaks the silence because by doing what they're doing, that person is dishonoring their office as parent or leader and they're dishonoring God himself. As we saw in 1 Peter with the example of Christ, you don't threaten. You don't threaten. But you do expose. You act in a way that will once again bring that person under the authority of God. Brothers and sisters, my little brothers and sisters, if you're in a situation like this, I beg you to go Talk to someone safe. Speak out about it to someone. Yes, there will be consequences for that person. There may be serious consequences for that person. But there will also be a chance for them to face redemption. Repentance and redemption. There will be a chance for them to face the horror for their, of their sin and to come before God begging for His mercy. Honor them by granting them that chance. Finally, in closing, for those of you who have failed in honoring and obeying from the heart, your parents, your teachers, your elders, your prime minister, or anyone else. For those of you who have failed in your positions of authority to reflect the fatherhood of God and His discipline, His love, His mercy, and His grace, there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness. We have a Lord who perfectly submitted, even to the point of suffering death on the cross for all our sins. We have a Lord who is raised up to heaven and who holds all authority in heaven and on earth in perfection. He is so much more than simply an example for us. He is our Redeemer. In His perfect submission, our rebellion is washed clean. In His perfect rule, our authority too can be redeemed. 
If we come before Him in repentance, begging for forgiveness, He will wash us clean. And if we ask for His Holy Spirit to sanctify us and purify us in our growth as those who submit and those who lead, we will see this perfection in some small way beginning to take place in our lives. Let us repent, beginning in the home. Let us repent, beginning in the home. And let the fruit of this repentance flow out to church, to school, to society, and to the world as a whole. Amen. In response to the proclamation of the word, let's sing together from Psalm 78, the verses 1, 2, and 3.